just a bunch of witty bitches. Goodbye, Papa. Hey, jump. I'll have a quick. You'll have a quick. We'll put that to a quick. It's just cadals. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Witty Banter, episode number 57. I am one of your hosts, Chase Williams. Joining me today, as always, it's the Mean Green Hunter Dorset. Yeah, you know, I'm rocking, rocking the green today, trying Hunter, to trying to get those green eyes looking good. Those green eyes always look good. <laughs> those are the bread and butter. Okay, sure. They are green, right? Are they got baby they, blue in well, there? Well, they're both blue and green, so if I wear blue, they look bluer. I see. Do so you I, use that to your advantage? Oh, yeah. It gets, uh, gets the ladies all riled up. That's jingle jang. It gets me riled up. I know that much. <laughs> well, hell, that's part of the point. Let's discuss the gigantic fat elf in the room. Yeah, let's do it. We've been trying to record this fucking episode for like... Two occasions now. Yeah, two occasions. And twice now, mm-hmm. our devices are pooping out on us. Yeah, particularly my devices. Yeah, well, we they're usually, our devices. We usually, we usually uh, record these on my computer and yeah. on my audio interface, and we keep getting to a certain point in the podcast where it's just like, we're recording, and it really makes me mad. It really, really just... Chops, chaps my ass. Chaps your ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jumbles your giblets. Mm-hmm. Grinds my gears. That's a good one. All right. Mm. Well, look, we got some housekeeping to go through. Yeah. Um, before we get started here, very recently, it was actually last weekend, we went to Houston for yes. uh, a photo shoot for Woody Banter because sort of in this whole, the whole reason why we're getting back into the in, into doing Woody Banter again isn't just to do it again. It's to really recognize that we think we can make this into something that is bigger than what it was currently. Yeah, let's step it up. And a part of that was taking some promotional photos to make us look a little halfway decent, I Mm -hmm. suppose. Um, And we ended up really having a pretty spectacular weekend for witty banter as a whole. I think one that we're going to look back at as a pretty pivotal moment. Yeah. Uh, Do you want to kind of talk about what what we did? Yeah, for sure. So uh, we were were trying to find a location that we could do this promotional photo shoot, and uh, we had everything in place but the location. I started calling around and got some some sort of negative feedback on like not being able to do it at certain bars. But then I got in touch with Ashford Pub, and uh, I talked to Holly, who was the uh, the, the bartender at that time, and uh, she was like, "Yeah, come on over." So we came on over. Super accommodating. Yeah, just really like, super. Just like nice. Made, made it easy for us. Yeah, it was in the middle of a Saturday, so they could have easily been like, "Get out of here!" But they totally let us come. We met Holly; she was awesome. Uh, we met a couple of bar or a couple of patrons at the bar. There was one guy named uh, Dan, and or no, there was a dude named Andrew. And yep. Andrew sort of approached us about the show first, and he was like, "What are y'all doing? Y'all have your own show. What's the name? All the stuff." He recommended us a beer that we ended up drinking too. Yeah, we really liked. It actually became a part of like we're planning on going back to that bar and doing an event later, and that brewery. That we tried that beer for that he suggested that's that's gonna be kind of on the docket. It was delicious, meeting, man. Yeah. So, uh, and then we met another guy named Andrew, and this guy had a Rubik's cube that was each side had seven by seven of of squares. Fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Instead of your three by three, this guy was rocking seven by seven. So. Whenever we first started, it was just a jumble of all the colors. Then, by like maybe halfway through our experience, he had finished it. Finished the dude. That's, <laughs> I have never finished a Rubik's cube ever, uh-huh. even a normal one. Oh, yeah. I can't do it. I've dedicated myself to trying to do it, mm-hmm. and every time I'm like, okay, it's just a bunch of colors here. You know, just concentrate. You'll figure out the pattern. You'll mm-hmm. get there. I've never even gotten close. Yeah, it really takes a. Uh, it takes some some a genius. Yeah, I think it we takes could some say. training. I think. 
And, uh, and even by the end, he instead of just figuring out the Rubik's Cube, he was doing like cool patterns and designs. Yeah, he on each wrote side. his name in there. It was it was almost like a, a you know a little brag effort, but he totally deserved it because that was awesome. Yeah, and it was we really liked it. Um, but then also, I think the the most sort of notable person that we met was uh, a guy named Jason. And he, I think, was acting as sort of almost like the event coordinator. I think he's the, uh, he's the bar owner. Oh, I thought his parents oh. were the bar owners. Oh, is that what the deal is? Yeah, he's the bar think, manager. Yeah, okay, yeah. Maybe he's more of the bar manager. But Dude. he, yeah, he was awesome. This he, guy was so, first of all, he fucking knew his shit about beer. He yes. definitely put us on our toes. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's times. He knows our, more than us. Yeah, there's times. <laughs> we sit there and we have this beer cup uh, podcast. And then there's moments when people who actually know beer come up. And I'm we're like, all like, right, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm my f- top lip just tightens. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. But Jason, he shared a beer with us um, at the at the pub called it was like the Florida Man Double IPA, just a big bomber. And he opened it up for us, let us all enjoy it. Was just super hospitable. It was a delicious beer, and like, I don't know, to find a place that will just open the doors to just a bunch of random group of people and then take them in like that. Yeah, was super cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also tell us about the prop that he let us use for our photo shoot. Yeah, so like in the middle, like Chase was doing some photos with with Darian, and he saw that we were at sort of a certain point, and he he comes over to me and he was like, "Hey man, I think I, I think I've got something for y'all that'll be cool for y'all to use." And he goes into the back and he brings out this three liter gigantic bottle of arrogant bastard ale from Stonebury. Biggest fucking bottle I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, this thing had to weigh at least like 20 pounds. It probably and took four hours just to bring that thing to temperature. Yeah. <laughs> so so we started using that as a prop. Like one of my favorite photos that I'm looking forward to is having this guy hoisted over the top of my shoulder. I'm looking like a big caveman yeah. with my beer. But uh, but yeah, so he like gave us some props. He also was really um, like he listened to the show on the way over to the bar. We really appreciate that. Yeah, man. and that yeah. was awesome. He was like, yeah, like uh, I saw y'all were talking about a saison, and like I totally don't even like saisons either. And yeah, I was like, yeah, cool, fuck man, saisons. awesome. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, so he he's gonna be pivotal, and I think. Looking forward, we kind of want to see if we can maybe do an event with Ashford Pub. Yeah. And we were talking to him, and he was, like, super down about having us set up something with him. And so we're really look excited about going back there. And, yeah, and great really place. Establishing we're that. just super happy that they were as helpful as they were, and they were so cool. You know, Holly, Jason, Dan, uh, Andrew, all of you guys were great. Yeah. Um, we also want to give a shout-out to Andra Harlow, who took the, the, the pictures for us. Yep. Um, her, her little company that she runs is lovely levity mm-hmm. and, um, she takes amazing photos, dude. Like, like it's one thing to sit there even with a nice camera and just do like a point and shoot. But unless you really know what you're doing, she's able to set up these compositions and create like little stories out of just pictures. And mm-hmm. it's really fucking impressive, man. Yeah. She's got artistic vision and it's clearly more than just like you know, like some hobby she decided to pick up, like she's actually really good at it. And it was really, it was a really enjoyable experience. I've never been a part of a, a photo shoot like that. Yeah, how'd that feel? Like, it was weird. You know, I mean, sometimes I thought I was being like really lustful looking, you know, like I was like squinting the eyes and trying to get a good shot. And they were like, you have dead eyes. And I'm like, damn it. You know, dead eyes. so it has, it, it had more, it was actually pretty draining. It, it took yeah. more out of me than I expected. I mean, granted we, we were, were drinking, f- we were drinking, <laughs> We we did that thing for like three hours though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was really just like an overall. It was. It felt like a pivotal moment. Just it was a really cool experience for everybody. Involved. Definitely. Okay. Well, we've been talking a lot about beer uh, so far, and that's because Witty Banter focuses on said beverage, and that's because we review a beer every episode. What is today's beer, Hunter? Okay. So uh, 
We got this from the the witchcraft. Is it the beer store? Witchcraft. Witchcraft beer store. Yeah, yeah why something not? like that. Yeah, witchcraft here in Austin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got a lot of beers. So um, we went with this one. It's called the Stillwater Artisanal, and it is a Belgian style golden ale. Uh, this baby's rocking 9.0% alcohol Which by I volume. Which I was not expecting. I didn't realize we, we stepped into a heavyweight hitter yeah, it's over kinda, here. It's kind of hefty. And, uh... Kind of hefty. <laughs> the kind of thing you don't want to hear when you get described. <laughs> or at a photo shoot. Yeah. Um, so... You look kind of hefty, and your eyes are dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I believe... I believe I, I didn't really understand like the the font that they are using. I think it's as follows brewery. As follows, okay. Yeah, um, but we're gonna we're gonna have to look that up and make sure that that is the right um, the right brewery. Actually, no, nah, that's a distributor. So we'll we'll look up at a halftime, make sure that we got the right brewery. But uh, but yeah, so a Belgian style gold nail right below that says bold and hoppy. Bold and hoppy. So um, yeah, yeah, I got your bold just, and hoppy. Preliminary predictions, you'd think that with this amount of alcohol that you'd be tasting it, that there'd be sort of like a highly alcoholic, maybe a sweetness to it. Um, my initial take would be that since it's a Belgian style, that you might get some more of that sort of banana-y taste that's sort of uh, typical of a lot of Belgian beers. Um, yeah, what about what do you think? So I just, I just took my first sip. Um, immediately the smell, it just smells super bright. I don't know if I can necessarily what I say what I'm smelling yet. I know that I've been using this um, descriptor pretty recently in these last couple episodes. Yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to lean on it, but <laughs> it does smell floral in my opinion. Okay, yeah, I, you know, I, like I it kind of smells like you're smelling a flower, yeah, like, like a, a rose or something. A light, sprightly floralness. But it does. It's like super bright. Yeah, and, and the beer itself is golden yellow. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, not very filtered. Um, it doesn't look like super carbonated or anything. No. And, uh, yeah, it's a nice, just, you know, you're golden. But golden when I, looking. when I drank it, it did not, I did not feel the alcohol yet. That might change, but it felt bright and kind of sweet. I'm having trouble giving it an exact flavor right now. Um, but it went down way smoother and mm. the alcohol, even though it doesn't, it's not like, I mean, an alcohol doesn't mean bitter, but I think it does warm my throat a little bit. I guess that's where I could say I feel the 9%. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I was going to ask because, yeah, I think I think that the you know the higher alcoholic content, I think it could either go one of two ways where it's like sweeter and the alcohol is very flavor forward or it just gives it a little bit maybe more of like the feel of the, the mouth feel and it's like a warmer feeling. But I was going to ask, I mean – this is called a Stillwater Artisanal. Do you we've been this isn't very cold, right? We we had this pretty warm and that's sort of how we've been doing it in the last few episodes. Yep. When you have this artisanal attached to any beer, I feel like anytime I've had a beer that considers itself artisanal, there's a little bit of this like sourness in it. Do you get that? I don't know if the word artisanal is going to give us any information on what the beer is going to taste like. I yeah. really think that it's just the name of the beer. Because I feel like this is a little, it has like a little like, not not sour, but it seems sort of like, you know, like a farmhouse. It has a little bit of that sense where it's like. It's like a funkiness or? Yeah, it's just a little bit of a tart, like kick a little bit. But it's not, it's not like super present, but it's, I guess I thought that, you know, 
the sweetness would be more insulated and like more straightforward. But it seems like there's also a rounding out well, I mean, of I, a different I, kind of flavor outside think, of the sweetness. I think that's just speaking to like I think this beer has a complexity that we're gonna have to kind of try to unravel okay. and sit with because yeah. um, it, it does. <laughs> What? <laughs> I was just like, dang, we're going to have to really work this for our money. Out. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, man. The responsibility is getting way too great over here. Woody Banner's getting serious. All right. Well, let's go and hop into the news, man. All right. I'm down. This is Woody Banter. Okay. We got four items on the list here. This first one's a little more lighthearted and okay. fun. Right. Uh, specifically because it involves a company that you work for. Oh, yeah. PwC. I, I like it, yeah. Now, this one comes from Reuters, and the title is, The Vatican Suspends a PwC Audit. And it reads, The Vatican suspended an audit of its finances by PricewaterhouseCoopers, it said on Thursday. A decision, sources said, was taken to determine if there was irregularities in the contract. Vatican sources said the Secretariat of State, the top department in the the Vatican bureaucracy, sent letters last week to all departments informing them of the suspension. I don't really think this one's, like, super important, Hunter. I just thought it was fucking hilarious that the Vatican get audited. Yeah. And that PwC is the one who steps up for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's, it's funny because, you know, the big four, I mean, the, 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 public, comp- the public auditing firms, they're, they're auditing these big publicly traded companies. Right. They're not, they're not auditing your Joe Schmoes. Mm-mm. So the fact that they're auditing the Vatican... It's just funny because it, it just it just shows how much of a the money train if if you, goes on in the the religious side. I don't know. I know. No, I mean for me <laughs> it was. For me, it was just like, yep. Well, the church is a fucking institution, clearly, because yeah, it's yeah, getting, yeah. you know, like, and everything that comes with being an institution. It's I have got no as well. idea. Like, it's not like it, what's funny is because so much of, at least in the U.S., like so much of accounting is based off of like standards based on the industry. Like, what kind of standards are there for right. a religious institution? You guys went way over on your blood of Christ this yeah. year. <laughs> And we're gonna have to knock you back on that one. No, but, yeah, I can't even imagine like how an audit like that would even go. That's about. That's what I was trying to think like, of. Is like when you get assigned, it's like, all right, you're taking care of. Uh, let's see here, uh, the Vatican. <laughs> so <laughs> you're gonna. That would be such an intimidating like assignment. If like, you fuck up, God's watching. <laughs> we need an overview of the balance sheet for the Vatican, yeah. particularly the Pope's contributions. Yeah. Damn it. He's gotten way way too many foot baths. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Let's let's move yeah, let's, on. Let's keep it moving before we get in trouble here. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to. Avoid. All right, this next one comes from Reuters as well, and the title is "Uber drivers remain independent contractors as lawsuit settled." Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you said you'd been sort of following this this case. Yeah, I've heard I've heard here and there. All righty. Well, the the story reads: Uber has agreed to pay up to a hundred million dollars to settle a class action lawsuit, which resolves a major challenge to its business model by allowing the ride hailing service to keep its California and Massachusetts drivers as independent contractors. Mm. The lawsuit had claimed that Uber drivers are employees and thus entitled to reimbursement of expenses. The case against Uber had been closely watched in Silicon Valley, as other companies in the on-demand tech economy share Uber's reliance on independent. Contractors. The class action lawsuit had been scheduled for trial in San Francisco federal court in June. Hmm. Um, I kind of just wanted to get more general feelings, your your general feelings on Uber and the fact that it is it it's gotten, in my opinion, so disruptive to like normal city economies that it has it's showing up in court now. Right. You know, mm-hmm. um, and you wonder if that is a combination of 
bombastic personality of the actual corporation of Uber mm-hmm. that is maybe being bullish enough to get themselves in court. Right. Or if it is a uh, maybe stifling of status quo. Status quo. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, the, the cities themselves are just trying to keep the status quo. Mm-hmm. I would think that it would be a little bit of both. Uh, I think, you know, you never get your own black and whites in, in reality, but I think, you know, particularly with this case, I think that it's more about the the rights of the workers and how whether or not you know Uber's structure organizationally, whether or not that is considered a legitimate and even moral uh, you know way of doing business, and and the fact that it seems that they're so laissez-faire about you know who is getting what in their company, like if if. If, you know, just the top dogs are going to be getting all the benefits from all the operations, um, or if it's more like, are they going to be basically providing things like, you know, health care and all these kinds of things to their quote unquote employees yeah. or not? It's and, just... and it's like, you want, you want to say that if they're working under the name of Uber, that they should be getting certain benefits for that. But at the same time, like it's not like they're being forced to like yeah. go to work at this time and have these sales projections. Like ultimately, they are on their own dollar. They are doing their own business. So right. they're just—it's almost like franchising themselves sure. through Uber. So yeah, because it says here it talks about um, being entitled to reimbursement of expenses, and so and that's what the employee. Or I would the, think that would be like gas, yeah, and well, car maintenance. Well, so yeah, that's what I was gonna, the question I was going to ask because I think things like gas and car maintenance, I can see them kind of easily being like, well, no, I'm not going to pay for your gas. Like right. you're an independent contractor, but. You know what happens when a, um, a a rider gets into your car and like pukes, or you get in a wreck because you were on the clock. You know, like these are things that at a normal company um, that they have to be answered, right? Right. And, yeah. and Uber's just—it almost feels like they're so big that at this point it's almost like they're getting away with it. Yeah. Um. I mean, do you? Do you kind of see where I'm going with that? Like, you know, do you I, think they're kind of skirting a line that's maybe kind of gross at all? Or? Well, I do because, uh, you know, it, it's a fairly new – this whole ride-sharing thing is a new industry. It's a, it is a disruptive um, innovation in that market. And I would be interested in knowing sort of the extent to which like maybe a taxi cab company – what they're willing to pay for and use that maybe even just as like a benchmark – but I, I mean, I, I feel as though Uber is – the thing that is makes Uber great is the convenience at which customers can access the riding and stuff. Yeah. And I feel like that convenience is heightened by the fact that you have these independent contractors, that it's not some employee-based thing. Since you have people that are working on their own time, on their own money, on their own effort, then – you're really more entrepreneurial about where you're going to be, what you're going to be doing, and that that allows for like, you know, that convenience to sort of always be there. And I think once they sort of sort of make it like this, yeah, like you should be paying for our gas, and it's almost like it it degrades. I would imagine that to almost degrade the quality that well, you get from your ride experiences. Well, let's talk about it. something you brought up earlier was just saying how um, you know. What, how you're going to get to where you're going to go, um, is a huge determiner on what you're going to do. Yeah. And the fact that they have taken logistical questions and almost removed them for a lot of people mm-hmm. 
might actually just have an overall uh, positive effect on a local economy. Yeah, right? I agree. 100%. And when they become, and I don't want to use the word bogged down because it has like a negative connotation to it, but when they must start doing things like treating them as employees and uh, just having more bureaucracy and more processes to to take them from an independent contractor status how it works now to something more that might start complicating the whole the whole situation cuz you could easily see it backtracking into just an a modernized ca- taxi company well, you know what's if, funny, if they don't keep it the way it is and what's funny is i've actually heard people say like you're watching uber drivers become taxi drivers in the <laughs> sense that uber has become so big and has actually like gotten to be so dominant that they these Uber drivers have to stop caring as much, yeah. and they're starting to become these asshole yeah. car drivers. It's like they're cannibalizing their own care yeah. about about you know the the customer and and the quality and co- of convenience that they're giving these people. So, I think that I think it's an interesting case. I think beyond the case, it's interesting to see city for city what their pros and cons are with yeah, allowing Uber to be going forward. Austin, I think this this next week is mm-hmm. going to be doing a vote on whether or not uh, like Uber in some capacity should be operating the way it's operating now. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot I mean, I think most of the major cities in Texas are probably going through that process. I'm not I haven't heard a whole lot about Uber. I know Austin is having a vote. Um, but I think everyone's sort of trying to feel about are they operating on a field that we're okay with? Um Clearly, there are upsides about, you know, reducing the amount of drunk driving and and being able to give people more logistical lateral movement and what they want to do from time to time because they can basically skip the middleman by just using Uber to get there. But um, but yeah, there is some drawback. There's always the concern about security and safety. There's always the the concern that Uber's not really uh, covering their bases on their liabilities the way that they should be. And so well, I, it'll just be interesting for us to kind of follow this one, I think. you know? Yeah, definitely. And I, I asked you earlier, just, you know, on a general take, how would you feel if some, if, you know, like you live in Houston, you live in Houston, if Houston just said no more Uber? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I probably don't use Uber as much because I am a, very attached to my car and I like driving. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the fact that I don't have to, like leave my car somewhere that might have something in there that's valuable to me. Uh, you know, the, the fact that parking sucks in major cities uh, and the fact that I can get a ride in like five minutes. Right. You know, I mean, it, it would really be a blow in regards to just like, man, we had access to this thing and now for some reason it's just taken away. Like that just doesn't seem very American even. Sure. Um, and by I think when you say American, I think you're saying capitalist. Yeah, sort of. Know? Yeah. So free market. Um, but I think it would be I think it would definitely be a worse scenario to have had it and then lost it. Um, but then then necessarily to have it recognize that something's bad and then just change it. Um, I think it would be better to just keep it around. But. I don't know. I think that there'll there'll be different perspectives on you know on the side of all sorts of different city councils and and different uh, industry leaders and stuff. So I'm looking forward to just seeing how it continues to play out. I'm sort of on the I think at least Uber should stick to independent contractors. I think that's probably the better route for everybody, in my opinion. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, just for me personally, I, I just see it challenging the status quo, and I think that that only shows signs of progress. Mm-hmm. And when I see, you know, it's kind of like when we did news stories about states trying to bar the sale of Tesla, 
Yeah. It's the same thing, in my opinion, where you got these, now you got cities saying, get the fuck out of here because we don't know how, you're fucking up our economy. Yeah. Because we don't know how to handle you yet. Yeah. You same know? thing with, like, uh, that dude that came up with those roundabout ways of, like, saving money on flights by doing single trips yeah, and got, stuff. Yeah. He got, like, sued. He got fucked up. Yeah, but that's messed up. I think so, too, yeah. So, I think it's totally messed up. So I think, you know, there there definitely is institutional, let's keep the status quo, the status quo thing. And uh, you and I are both probably a little bit more leaning to, like, hey, let's mix the pot, guys. Yeah, let's, you know? uh, let's rock the boat. Steer it up. I can steer it up. Okay, That's good. pretty good. Yeah. All right. Next story comes from Reuters again. I yeah. like this one. We like Reuters. Reuters is legit as fuck, dude. It doesn't have uh, three letters, so that's, that's a start. It is a start. That's <laughs> something. The title is, Look, Mal, No Hands, China's Roadmap to Self-Driving Cars. Oh, so we got another goofy one, kind of, it sounds like. We got a goofy title. Okay. We So we talk about self-driving cars a lot on this show, uh, and I kind of like it. I like how it's become a shtick, where we get to really chart the progress of this technology. Yeah, yeah we're in the midst of it. So the story reads, in the race to develop self-driving cars, the United States and Europe lead in technology, but China's coming up fast in the outside lane, enough with the fucking metaphors, with a, regula- <laughs> with a regulatory structure that could put it ahead in the popular adoption of autonomous cars on its highways and city streets. Wow. A draft roadmap for having highway-ready, self-driving cars within three to five years and autonomous vehicles for urban driving by 2025 could be unveiled as early as this year, said Li Oh my god, I'm not even going to try. Okay. I'm so sorry. Just you got a me. representative yeah, of China. A rep- <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Mr. China himself. An automotive engineer at a university. I'm not even going to try that one. Oh, wow, okay. Who chairs the committee drafting plan. The panel is backed by the powerful Ministry of Industry and Information Technology. The draft will set out technical standards, including a common language for cars to communicate with each other, and infrastructure and regulatory guidelines. A unified framework that contrasts with a patchwork of state laws and standards in the United States. Hmm. So it looks like the Chinese government is recognizing what a serious force self-driving and autonomous vehicles um, could be. be. You know, they're coming up with their own future plan. And I think the biggest point of um, differentiation there was the fact that they're taking it, and of course they are because they're – communist from a top down uh, perspective where it's going to be the ministry of industry. The government is going to set forth all of the standards for how this is going to work. They're creating this roadmap uh, and they called um, our sort of uh, approach, a patchwork um, approach to self-driving cars because we have state laws and things like that. Uh, So I mean, it's not necessarily a horrible point. Yeah, it's not, I don't think either one of them are are good or bad. It's just right. two different approaches. I mean, commun- fuck communism. That's bad. But Well, you know, there are a lot of people that would argue that there's a lot of uh, capitalistic qualities of the Chinese economy. Oh, yeah. And exactly. Yeah. But, but uh, some people say that they basically are capitalists. Yeah, that, that they're more capitalist than us in some ways. Oh, no. They challenge the status quo. How dare they? But uh, that's really interesting, man. It'd be... I mean, I didn't even realize that Europe was considered like a like a top contender. A lead. In, yeah, like yeah. In, in in this whole thing, I pretty much just thought it was the U.S. I hadn't really. Well, heard I haven't heard of any like specific European um, countries doing this thing, but I do know that like Europe is a major motor um, motor. I don't. Know, I almost said motorsport. <laughs> motor hit. Yeah, a, a major auto industry giant like you know BMW, Porsche, mm. uh, Mercedes, Volkswagen. Volkswagen. It's just yeah. all of the cars are down there. Yeah, so um, this is interesting. I mean, you wonder because it seems that the proportion of like ruralization 
in China, I would guess is higher, right? Than, oh yeah, it's it's right, like like drastically. You I have think. highly concentrated urban areas, yeah. and then you have massive swaths of basically farmville. Yeah, just ruralized area, and so you wonder, like, you know, but they're they're trying to keep on that bleeding edge, you know. Well, the bleeding edge of what? Of, I'm of, saying that like they focus heavily on those urban centers, yeah, and. That's so you, what so you think that they're basically just focusing on on really upping those with like the the modernization? Well, I mean, that, like I think it's like Shanghai or Beijing it was there's whatever city it was it has like the highest amount of billionaires per capita, huh. you know, and yeah. basically the more you cater to these people and you allow them to continue to progress, like it's going to bring your your country more money. So the fact that they would be focusing. Um, on these technologies, I guess makes sense in my my opinion. But I, I guess I'm just I'm just curious because it seems like in America where there is such a a, a more uh, distinct representation of the urbanized sector that it it would it would be more easy to set up sort of like a universal roadway system that was built around you know cars autonomously being able to travel around totally whereas like if you have like a super ruralized china it's like are you going to even have cars that know anything outside of those cities yeah like well what you're what i almost jumped to is like if china's it's so rural rural but as urbanization spreads there, uh-huh. uh, the fact that they ha- kind of have like a clean slate in a lot of ways with their infrastructure outside of these urban areas mm-hmm. might mean that they get to plan from day one to have ground these, up, yeah. you know, to have these autonomous vehicles, and because mm. you know we, we have our infrastructure now that's existed for decades, and right. it was built on the backs of cars, uh, like. In the forties, right, and so we're we're Austin struggles with that, where yeah. our road networks aren't meeting the modern demands of what we want them now. So, so we have switching costs, basically, exactly. Whereas, like, there's not that sort of same deterrent keeping China from developing in that way. I guess. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that'll be an interesting thing to follow as well. It's I think it's cool how we're we're building up a set of of different, you know, sort of. Things that are showing that the times there are changing, you know, they and that uh, we get to be in the middle of a lot of these sort of really crucial things that are going to, forgive let, the pun, pave the way or yeah. pave the uh, autonomous roadway to uh, to the future. Yep. So, you can either just re- read the news stories and talk about them on a podcast or you can just get totally upset with the existential dread that time is moving forward. Yeah. And I do both sometimes. We do both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We do both, but we, we balance. Well, that was the new section, man. So let's go ahead and take a quick break, and we'll come back and uh, talk about this beer a little bit. All right. Beat up, skid up. This is Witty Banter. Don't forget to follow us at Witty Banter Show on Twitter and shoot an email over to wittybantershow at gmail.com. We almost beeped at the same time. Yeah, that was sorry. beautiful. I'll never apologize. <laughs> Two people are beeping at the same time in any room. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's angelic of sorts. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back, everybody, to Witty Banter. We're going to go ahead and say some more words about the beer that we're drinking, which is the Stillwater Artisanal from As Follows, which is a Maryland brewery. Mm-hmm. Hunter, what do you think so far? Um. So, yeah, I mean, I guess... It, it is worth noting that this is a 9.0% alcohol by volume beer, and it doesn't feel like it. It's crazy, right? It really goes down way more smoothly than I would have expected for that height of alcohol content. Um, it does have you know some floral characteristics and 
not only on the nose, uh, you know, smelling it, but in the in the taste itself. Um, I think I'm just surprised by the fact that there is, you know, this. There is like a sort of. It tends to the the typical Belgian tropes where it has like this little bit of like a banana yeastiness. But on the other end, I am feeling like it opens up at a certain point where you feel like a different sort of like almost tartness or like but souring a little me, bit. Yeah, let me pick up on that. When you first said, you know, we were trying to guess that maybe if artisanal was like a word that could key us into what the beer was. Um, and you started talking about like farmhouse farmhouse ales and stuff. I don't know if this is coincidence, but I am actually getting way more of a funkiness hmm. in this beer, especially in the nose. When I smell this, it kind of has like a skunky, just funk. A dank. Yeah, some dank, dank yarnum nugs in there. <laughs> it's got some funkiness to it. And I don't know if you're kind of picking up on that as well, but that's what I've been getting more and more as I drink this beer. I think that's, I'm getting it in the taste at least. And so it's got a little bit of sweetness, I think just from the alcohol uh, content. Mm-hmm. It does not drink like it, like it's a 9% ABV. It's yeah. very easy to drink. Yeah. Um, and that bright sort of uh, characteristic that I first was smelling, I think is actually coming more in the taste now. Mm-hmm. It does have like a citrusy, almost like tropical fruit flavor to me. Hmm. That's just what I'm kind of getting. Just throwing that just out there. Just throwing it out Making an opinion there. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm sitting at right now. But I, I will say that when we saw when we saw like the bottle, and I don't know if we, do we discuss the label? We did not discuss the so label. So the label is like super cool and there's like this, this skull and like this demonic like figure sitting atop a skull, and which I'm all this, about. There's this other dude who's looking through this giant like life size telescope that the demon's holding, and it's just a really cool bottle. It was, yeah. like, the biggest, it was like basically the biggest reason why we wanted to try it out is because it had a cool label. Right. Um, but with all that, we'd uh, we'd expect it to be maybe a little bit more intense, but it's it's actually pretty nice, n- nice and delightful. And that's gonna lead us to our next segment, which we're gonna pull out. Kind of an old one. We haven't done this one in a while. Out of the bag. This one's Musical Mastery. Master. Master. Musical Mastery. Oh, yeah. Which is basically a catch-all segment for talking about music. Mm-hmm. And now we're f- we've flown him out here to Austin for this segment in particular. It's our best friend, Cole Blair. Hey, guys. <laughs> now, what? Okay, so here's the deal. Cole and I are going to a concert tomorrow night. A mm. concert that we're both pretty fucking excited for, and that is Ghost. We've seen Ghost once before, and this is going to be our second full-fledged Ghost concert. And just so so let me let me just ask if you're if you're if you're expecting to go to a Ghost show, what are some of uh, when you're walking up and you're seeing maybe some of the crowd? What are some of your expectations of like the general landscape of people there? Um, what's the vibe? Are people going to be like really excited, or are they going to be like sort of like amped? You know what I mean? Are, are they going to be like living on the edge? What what's, what are, what is the general electricity around this band when you're when you're surrounded by other ghost goers? I will say. They so metal shows in general have a pretty. The crowds there, I think, all are pretty similar, and they just have different, uh, like, smaller characteristics about them. And that being said, I find metal goers super passionate, uh, pretty intense sometimes. Ghosts fans, though, they. So first of all, the the band is like deeply uh, satanic, right? Like the things that they sing about, the way that they present themselves. And so when I first went to their concert, I was like, I wonder if these are going to be like 
freaky people or whatever? And mm. the answer is like, no. They are literally just a big line of people in black shirts, just like every other metal show. What I found that was different about Ghost fans was I would actually call them a little obsessive. Hmm. In that at the actual concert, there wasn't any moshing, but instead it was everybody was just so hooked in and knew every single word knew every note of every song. I think that would be preferable, right? I mean, I mean, it was amazing. I got to be in this show where no one was bumping up against me, and everyone was so into the music. Yeah. You know? I mean, Cole, what do you think? Okay, so my first ghost experience was really similar. I'm walking up, you know. I'm, I'm thinking, okay, what's going to be going on outside this show? Are there going to be, like, people protesting? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, it could happen. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was honestly expecting somebody to be out there, like, screaming that I was sinning or something like that by going to the show. Anyways, I get there, and I'm standing in line, and the line's pretty long. I'm like, okay, ghost, yeah. Okay, yeah. And um, the people that I'm seeing are, like, you know, like Chase said, you're regular metal, metal heads, you know, whatever. But also, there was, like... There was a bunch of just regular guys that you could tell just got off their nine to five. Like okay. they had, you know, collared shirts on and and then I did see one just entire family. And there were like <laughs> yeah, this is little crazy. kids tell there. The, tell this story. There were like little kids with them. There was there was a little boy and a little girl, and they were probably like they were less than thirteen years old. Okay. Uh, like that's <laughs> I don't really know kids' ages, yeah. And they were just like dressed all normal, and I saw them during the show, and they were like all into it, Raging. and I was just like, "Wow, I don't know." Wow. So that awesome. was my ghost experience. Yeah, there's something. There was something about ghost performance uh, that I haven't really seen or felt anywhere else, and I will use Jack White as an example because that was a concert that we all went to. Yes. When Jack White was performing on the stage, there almost felt there was like a clear barrier between the crowd and the stage in that it almost was like we are just watching Jack White perform. We're witnessing this thing happen. Yeah, and we just kind of get to be here and absorb it, right? And there was almost like this plexiglass barrier between the artist and me. You know, like I really wasn't in his world at all. I wasn't a part of it, what was happening. It was just happening. Okay. With Ghost... The lead singer, first of all, is fucking hilarious. Hmm, like, he's funny. he talks consistently. He just cracks the most absurd sexual jokes. And I felt like I was watching like a Renaissance Festival performance hmm. in that like that barrier between myself and the stage was non-existent. A lot more interactive. And I felt like I was a part of the show. He made us a part of the show. And like... One thing he did is he grabbed a woman's hand in the crowd and he sang an entire verse to her. And it was like, dude, you don't see this anywhere. Like, the guy made this woman's probably fucking life, right? <laughs> yeah. And, like, one of the coolest moments in the concert for me ever, uh, one of my f absolute favorite songs that they play, there's, like, this really intense breakdown, this really cool verse. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, man, the lead singer locked eyes with me. And I'm not, and I'm, you know, like he was looking right fucking at me and he sang the whole verse right to me. And I was like, this is fucking crazy, dude. And like, it totally froze me. It made, it, it's a moment like, it's, it's like seared into my brain. It's vivid. Right. And like, 
he didn't have to do that kind of stuff. And he did that stuff for everybody, Mm -hmm. you know? And I felt like he was consistently reaching out in ways that were different to make the show, like, come to you, to make you feel a part of the show. Yeah. I mean, speaking as somebody who is trying to develop stage antics of my own as a performer, uh, I feel like that's maybe the hardest thing, not only balancing that you want to put on a good audio show, I mean, you ha- you want to focus and make sure your music is good and that it's on key and on point. But also that it's beyond just what you're playing and even just how you're playing it. It's also your interaction with the people that are listening to it. And that's – it just goes to show you that, like, people that can do stuff like that who are great performers on top of being great, like, crowd performers, they're really at a different level. You know, like, that they – this is something that they have honed, like, and they've practiced for a long time, and that it's it's not just something, it's not just like as simple as being charismatic. It, it is a very deliberate thing you have to have to really work on. So yeah, that's that's pretty cool, you know, that you know that they'll be able to deliver that kind of interaction. Yeah, I mean, just everything about the the performance was super. I would I would describe it as like tight, like all the band members behind the lead singer were like it was almost like every song was choreographed to the minute mm-hmm. like the way that they would switch positions or like allow one person to come front when he had a riff and the others to drop back um the lead singer did a costume change and came out of the fucking floor like it's just the performance is so elaborate you know there's like candles you know and like you just don't expect that kind of thing from a club the size that they they, they t- typically play mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah so I just want to reiterate what Chase said uh, on this one topic. So the music is like very coordinated and, you know, while one person is kind of the forefront of the music, the other band members kind of all step back and it goes around like that. Um, And they have this setup where the drummer is up on a block basically in the back Mm -hmm. and then there's two other members on the back in the back uh, and the the other one's the keyboardist, right? And then there's a spot in the middle. So they would all like interchangeably run behind and go up the stairs and be the one in the middle, like mm-hmm. the other guitarist or the bassist or the singer, right? And they did an amazing job of like having the focal point of the music be also the focal point. Like everybody in the band faced that guy or mm-hmm. if the two guitars were kind of doing like a double solo, then like they were standing next to each other. It yeah, was awesome. And that, that. Again, that just goes to show you the amount of like preparation that that takes, right? Because that's like the theatrics of the coordination of what you're doing on the stage with each other, you know, and it's not easy to come up with that kind of stuff, man. So that's pretty impressive. It's pretty cool. Cool. Y'all looking um, forward to any other aspects of the show or uh, other than other than just the stuff you come to know? Like, do you feel like there's anything that um, you still have yet to learn about sort of this band and the, this set of performances? Or No, I know everything about Ghost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking real talk, dude. Uh, I My last show with them, the sound was awful where I was standing, so I actually feel like I missed out on a good part of the enjoyment, and so I'm really excited to get, like, where I need to be to hear it well. Yeah. Um, and it's just one of those bands where like, I literally, it doesn't matter what they fucking play. Cause I will know every song, you know, <laughs> yeah. and that's exciting. Yeah, that is cool. That's so cool. Thanks for hopping on the mic real quick and, uh, and giving us, giving us your thoughts on, on the concert. I'm fucking looking forward to, to it tomorrow. Yeah. Y'all are gonna have yeah. Fun. You guys are welcome. I mean, I'll come on anytime. Yeah. And then to round off, I'm just going to do a little, uh, sh- shameless plug here. 
while these two uh, are maybe – how many are in y'all's group? Like four or five of y'all? It's me, Cole, uh, Max, Ahmed, and my mom. Wow, that is a crew. And Darian. That and Darian. crew. Yeah. And it's so a... while those people are raging their faces off to Ghost, I'll be uh, enjoying some of my own tunes. We're going to be doing a show tomorrow night, man. Empire Control Room in Austin. If you don't go to the ghost show and you don't have anything to do, then here's some of my groovy tunes. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome, man. All right, well, let's go ahead and hop on over to the mail segment. It's it's Mail Corner. Okay, we've got an email today, Hunter. Hell yeah. And that doesn't happen very often. Mm -hmm. And this is the kind of shit that we need. (laughs) This is what makes the show... What it needs to be. So it gets the wheels going on the if banner you're, train. If you're a new listener and you want to be a part of the show, you just send your email in to wittybantershow at gmail.com. So maybe you just picked it up for the first time. Maybe your name is Holly or maybe it's Dan or Andrew or Jason <laughs> and you want to send a question in. We understand. You can totally do that. Just shoot us an email. Now, emailing today is a woman named Mandy Elkins. I think you might know her, Hunter. Yeah, yeah. She's, uh, she sounds familiar, at least. Yeah, the name. And she's got a question. She says, and it's kind of a long one here, so it's going to be a little bit of a walk. Okay, let's do it. I recently got into this show, so I have not listened to a lot of episodes. But from the amount that I have listened to, I have gathered the following. It's very apparent, apparent, it's very apparent that you all are into alcohol check (laughs) both of you have a knack for coming up with slash recognizing good band names and then she says although buttered pecans is not my favorite and i think she's mistaken she means fresh pecans and i've since corrected her on this silly just buttered pecans what in the hell yeah and even if (laughs) even if look fresh pecans is still a dope as shit band name Mm -hmm. her question is this she says what is the best band name you can come up with that has a pun around alcohol and to add to that, what kind of music would they play? She says, hopefully this question was not addressed on any of the previous podcasts. It wasn't because no one fucking emails. She <laughs> says, for me, the best I can do is Lonely in Your Absinthe. Of course, it would sound a lot like Five for Fighting, which I know best for the song Superman in 100 Years. It's pretty decent. I like that. This is a good pun. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll dig it. Yeah. All right. alcohol related. We accept it. We do. And we especially accept the email. So thank you so much, Yes, man. thank you for your question, Mandy. Bomb.com. Now, Hunter. This is pressure's on. We call ourselves witty banter. It's time to be witty. So I tried to start thinking of it on the on the fly. I, I saw the email a little early, and I start got, started getting like some, like I think I was thinking something like sissy whiskey or some BS like that. Sissy I think, whiskey. I don't think that's punny. It's not a pun. No, so, it's okay, not. <laughs> this is what I'm gonna go with. Porter potties. Porter potties is good. <laughs> <laughs> porter potties is good. What kind of music do the porter potties play? Um, I'm thinking like a like a deep country grunge. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's a banjo in porter potties. Yeah, dude, I can totally banjo dig it. Banjo and a fiddle, at least. Okay. Yeah, I'm digging it. The one that I've got, um, I this one's gonna be kind of like an emo band because I always go in line of like emo bands so I create band names, mm. and this one's gonna be Bullet for My Barley Wine. Bullet for your barley wine. Okay. Of course, riff. Exactly. Yeah, gotcha. Of course, riffing off Bullet for My Valentine. Oh, okay. But that's okay. the best I can come up with. Okay, cool. So, Mandy, thank you so much for the question. If you want to uh, email us in, it's wittybantershow at gmail.com. Um, we're also going to be on social media here pretty soon, so you'll be able to tweet your questions to like either myself or Witty Banter, um, and we'll make it all easy for you guys. But mm-hmm. that has been almost the end of the show, which means it's time to put a number on these beers. Okay. Hunter, do you want me to go first or you want to go first? Uh, 
I'll go first. Okay. I'll lead the way. He's taking the mantle. He wants to put the number on there. <laughs> so, um, I think I think we've done about as much uh, explain, explaining. Just brief highlights. High alcohol content. Don't feel it as much in the taste. Yep. Um, it goes. Yep. It's really a nice, light, easy drink. Has some floral characteristics. Um, I really like this beer, man. This is surprisingly a better beer than I guess I was even considering that we just made our decision on the label itself. Basically, yeah, totally. Um, I think I'm going to uh, I'm going to respect the fact that it's complex, but that it's simple drink. Uh, or simple to drink, but it has complexity within inherently within the, the beer. So sure. I'm gonna give it an eight. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I really like this beer. I think the only maybe drawbacks is I think uh, it could maybe be a little bit. I'd actually kind of like to feel like the slightest bit more alcohol. Really? Like, like, like when I have a high alcoholic content, I get a little skeptical if I can't like put my finger on that. Sure. Um. But but yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I think this is a solid beer. There's not as many drawbacks. I'm going to go a little lower than you. I'm okay. going to give it a 7. And basically, it's just a little too sweet for me. Okay. Okay, so it smells... I like that it's got this like almost skunky, floral smell to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it ends up tasting super bright and like almost citrusy or fruity. Um, and it is so drinkable for that 9%, like you said, it really is. but, uh, the aftertaste, the finish leaves me a little, little too sweet for my, for my tasting. It kind of sits in a place in my mouth too long that I just, I'm not really digging. Okay. Um, but I do think like, I think you said it perfect in that it's a easy to drink complex beer. Yeah. And that's really cool. Hard to come by, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. totally. So I'm going to give it a seven. Okay, cool. I oh. dig it. And that means, Hunter, we've finally successfully recorded this episode. Thank God yeah. we have this under our belt. We need to move on from this. We really do. <laughs> um, so, look, Witty Banter is still in this sort of uh, transition period where we're bringing it back, and that's why we're putting these episodes out. They're not coming as frequently as they will be once we have uh, sort of worked everything out and we're in full effect. Uh, this will be a weekly show, and it's going to be... Uh, reliably there for you. And glorious. It's going to be fucking fantastic. <laughs> Um, but until that time, just keep an eye out on the um, on the feed, whether it's through iTunes or what have you, and uh, we'll be posting new episodes. So let's go ahead and get the plugs out of the way. Uh, Witty Banter is on iTunes. Just search for Witty Banter. Hit subscribe. All of our episodes will show up in your download queue for free. Uh, if you don't have iTunes, you can just go to our website, which is wittybantershow at gmail.com, and download them from there. Uh, we actually just updated our website, so it's going to be um, – a, a better browsing experience for you, but we'll talk more about that later. Cool, cool. Um, we are also on Twitter. We're not using it yet, but if you want to start following us there, we're at Witty Banter Show, and soon enough we'll have a full-on Twitter presence that's going to be really fun to interact with you guys through. Um, and we're also starting up an Instagram, which we are just Witty Banter Show on Instagram, and soon enough we'll be using that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there's the email address, wittybantershow at gmail.com, if you want to email us in, and we will just dedicate a good block of time to your question, yeah. and we would love to hear from you. Direct the direction of the show. Yeah, please. Um, so, Hunter, thanks for coming in and you know doing the show here in Austin. Thank you, Creamy Cheese Chase. God, Jesus Christ, <laughs> Cream Cheese Chase. My name's Cream Cheese Chase, and until the next episode, it's been totally fun to do this with you guys. Bit up, bit up, bit Oh, that's a shape of mama. Oh, 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 oh